Hey guys. Um, so as I think you probably all know, I'm a mom, I have two little girls. Um, and something that I've often wondered about, about myself is how I would respond if I dealt with a deep hardship or tragedy, you know, involving one of my kids. And I think that that's something that we can obviously all relate to, whether you're a parent or not, you know, talking about kids, whether it's nieces and nephews, grandchildren, friends, kids, you know, there is something about a hardship involving an innocent little kid that for sure hits harder. Um, and so that's what our guest today shares with us about. Um, Carrie Baker so graciously agreed to come on the podcast today to talk about just the nightmare she walked through several years ago when her son, Colin, he was two years old and he was diagnosed with lymphoma. Carrie's a longtime friend of mine. I actually um, babysat her kids when I was in college and still living at home. And she kind of walked with me through the whole you know, me meeting Scott and dating long distance. And then I moved to Colorado and, you know, so she's seen me through definitely a lot, a lot of phases, um, of my life. And so I reached out to her, um, to see if she would share her story because it's definitely, um, a hard story, but it's definitely one of redemption and beauty and there's God in it everywhere. So definitely stay tuned to hear Carrie's story. All right. Hi, Carrie. Welcome to this episode of So What Else. Hi, it's good to see you. Thanks so much for doing this. It's so nice to see your face. You too. It's been a while. Yes, because you're a Jersey girl like me, but you moved to Texas. How long ago? Last um, last July, July of 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. Oh, so a little over a year. Yep, yep, yep. It's about 15 months or something. Yeah. Uh, how is it? Like, what is your like New Jersey versus Texas? Like, what are your thoughts? So it's crazy hot here. Yes. That was my first takeaway because we came in the middle of July. Um, oh. It's so, so hot. Um, that was rough. But then winter was not bad. Yeah. I didn't miss plowing. I didn't miss um, freezing mornings, getting the kids off to school. So... Now, did you guys get impacted by that crazy, like, snowpocalypse Texas thing that happened last year? We did actually. Yeah. It was like five days of brutal cold. Um, but we had a generator. So oh, who thank who? God. All right. Our yeah. We have a generator. So we were kind of like a refuge center. My sister-in-law and her kids came and their dog and stayed for a few days. Um, so it was really nice. We got to kind of hang out for five days, extended play date for the kids. Hey, that's good. We were blessed. We were lucky. <laughs> yeah. So, cause you guys are near your husband's family out in Texas, right? That's Right. Yeah. Yeah. All my in-laws were here. Father-in-law, mother-in-law, sisters-in-law, brother-in-law, cousins. Yeah. That's so great. nice. It's good to be in your family, especially for the kids. Like, you know, like they have cousins. And then for you guys moving to a new state, you have like built-in support system. You're not really like starting from scratch. That's right. Yeah. It's been really nice, actually. Do you feel like, does everybody like hardcore have like accents and say y'all? Like, do you stick <laughs> out like a sore thumb that you are like from Jersey? No, actually, um, people would be really surprised. I feel like it's more like New Jersey than it's not. Um, oh, really? It really is. And and where we live, actually, a lot of people are transplants. So oh. in New York, in Rhode Island, um, Pennsylvania. So it's kind of a mishmash of people from everywhere here. Yeah. So you have like a lot of Northeast people around you. So that's good. Right. Our neighbors from New Jersey. Um, she came over like the first week we're here because our girls are in school together. That's so funny. Yeah, right? It's it's just crazy. So um, it's everything. It's very that's, diverse, very cool. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's cool. I love that. I love it. So I know you, for the listeners, just so that everybody knows, I know Carrie because she and her husband and her kids went to my dad's church in Livingston for a lot of years. And then I babysat your two older kids for how long? Like I was in college. You're in college. I think it was like three years. Yeah. I think it was like two or three years. And I, cause I remember, I feel like I started dating Scott while I was like in the midst of babysitting your kids. So I remember like there'd be times I'd be like, oh, I'm going to Colorado next week, like to see my boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. And then I applied for Teach for America. I remember talking to you guys about that and and everything. Too, yeah. And then you left and it, we were so excited when you got engaged. Yeah. 
wedding. Oh my gosh. Seems like a million years ago now, right? Yes. It's so crazy. Yeah. Because so when I babysat your kids, there was just two of them, Lauren and William, and they were little. William was like a baby. I want to say he was still in diapers. I want to say he was like not even two around. Yeah. Yeah. And he was just the cutest thing I'd ever seen in my life. I mean, he was just like the cutest and Lauren was so adorable and a genius. I remember she was like four years old and like reading a magic treehouse book. Yeah, she loved to read. She would get in trouble in school for reading Harry Potter. She would second grade or something, right? I'm like, yes, right. Yeah, I remember. Like, she was like not in kindergarten and fully reading, and I was like, I don't think that's normal. Like, I was like, I really think that that's like very advanced. (laughs) I remember your husband Will though saying one time he was like, I think people think that we're like sitting at home, like like drilling her, like you're gonna be ahead, and he's like. We really didn't. Like, we just read to her like other people and she just kind of started reading. Like, I don't know what to tell you. It's like, she's just one of those kids. Yeah, she loves it. And her little sister does now too, just like her. So it's it's funny, but we didn't do it. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, And my favorite baby item that I own came from you guys, my double jogger stroller. Oh, wow. So you've been using it. Oh my gosh, we use it every day. And so it's crazy. So a year ago we moved here and this area that we live in now is like very, very, very hilly. And so a couple times a week, I'll throw the two girls in the stroller, even Jace, like she's five now. I throw them in, I give them a little snack and I walk the hills for like 30 minutes. I come back and I'm drenched in sweat, but it's like pushing that double stroller. I feel like I just did like a flipping CrossFit workout. Like I come back and I'm like, that was a really good workout. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> it's like my husband, like literally like Scott, if ever I'm like, let's go for a walk. He's like, oh gosh. Like he's like, all right, but you're pushing the stroller. <laughs> he's like, I don't feel like sweating. I'm not getting, I'm not like, I don't want to have a major workout right now. I want to just do a stroll, but I love it. I love that jogger stroller. It's a good one. <laughs> it's so good. We love it. So The reason you had that is because after I was done babysitting for you guys and living in Colorado already, you got surprise pregnant with twins, right? That's right. Yes. So were you you done? Like after, because you had Lauren and William and they're how many years apart? They're pretty close in age. They're two years. Okay. Were you guys done? Were you like, okay, we have our girl and our boy and this is our family and we're done. Not totally. I wasn't really sure for okay. like five or six years. Um, yeah. Cause I had some health issues after William and I just, mm-hmm. I it was like, is this going to make me worse or better? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And then what do you know? Um, along came twins. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, yeah. I just couldn't commit to no. Right. I felt like something might be missing. I just wasn't sure. So Yeah. A lot of people say that. I feel like a lot of people say like, they'll have like one or two kids and they'll feel like, Oh, I'm just not sure. Like, I feel like maybe, maybe we're not done. So your twins, you have boy, girl twins. Right. That's right. Yeah. So that means that they're fraternal, which means it's genetic, right? It's not, it's actually, it's actually advanced maternal age. So I I guess other people say, I had no idea. I figured, you know, I'm getting older the likelihood of getting pregnant is even smaller, but twins, no way. Um, and then I found out that just because your cycle starts to change the shift to towards menopause as a woman, the older you get, the more likely you are to have twins. I have never heard that in my life. Yeah. So this is a public service announcement. Seriously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was 37 when I got pregnant with them. I didn't think that was that old. No, that's not old. Right. When is it considered, is it 35 now? When it, so. Yeah, I think so. That's Periodic. crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. You know, my mom had Caroline when she was like 40 or 41. Wow, yeah. I you can't know, imagine if Caroline was a twin. You that old, right? But no. <laughs> so, okay, so you had twins, not because it is genetic, but because you were quote unquote old. That's right. <laughs> That's, that's crazy. I've never heard that before. And 37 is not old. Wow. All right. So how did you feel when you found out you were pregnant and that it was twins? Um, you know what? I, I 
when I told my husband, I think we were both like, of course, this is going to be crazy just because everything seems crazy for us. Yes. Mom was um, sick at the time, you know, mm. about that. Yeah. Um, so just everything was crazy. So somehow he wasn't that shocked. Yeah. Um, and I was so sick, like in all my pregnancies, oh. but this one, I was sick earlier, like two oh. weeks earlier. Um, so my aunt, who's a labor and delivery nurse, she's like, you totally are having twins. Like she oh. called it a few weeks ahead of time. I'm like, no, there's no way. But sure enough, she was right. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Yeah. And then you had, and you had two little kids and then you're pregnant with twins and you're super sick. Right, right, right. Yeah. It was not an easy pregnancy. <clears throat> now, did you go to term? I went to um, 36 and six. So, and that's pretty long for, yeah, that is. Yeah. So I was huge and it was, it was painful because I'm a short person. I'm like five feet. Yeah. Um, So everything is out in front. Oh my gosh. It was, it was definitely rough. Um, but my delivery was so quick and easy. So I feel like I got blessed on the back end. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Done. So no, yeah, 20 minutes. It was amazing. So thank God. You know, <laughs> that's phenomenal. Now, did they either of them have to be NICU or anything like that? Dee was in NICU for um, a week. Yeah. Okay. Okay. She was uh, she was under four pounds and she wasn't eating. Um, oh. She didn't eat. So, but it wasn't anything major. It was yeah, just yeah. feeding tube, and and within a week she was fine. So. Wow. All right. But then during your pregnancy with the twins, your mom passed away. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Actually, um, the day that I found out I was having twins, I had my first appointment with the OB. So I went in, um, found out, I went home and got ready to go see my mom in the hospital. And I got the call that she had passed away. Um, but listen, it's so strange how that happened. Like I found out it was two yeah. In the same hour that my mom passed. So I see it was some kind of blessing, you know? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Um, and I don't read too much into it, but what a blessing. You know, one person leaves and another person is is coming into the world. So yeah. Um, I looked at it that way and that got me through the really hard parts of the pregnancy that were physically miserable. <laughs> yeah. So. And then you named Dee Dee after her, right? That's right. Yeah. Dear mm. Yeah. Oh, that's so special. I can't imagine though, like the emotionally handling all that. You're pregnant, you have two little kids, your mom was sick, she passed away. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. It was. And I feel like that pregnancy also just kind of kept me from maybe falling apart. Yeah. Um, And and the kids too. Like I had to get up each day. I had to take care of these children. I had to take Mm -hmm. care of my body. So um, it's strange how that happens in life sometimes where it was the right thing at the right time. Never would have thought that, but somehow it was, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. So... Then when the twins were toddlers, right, you guys went through just a nightmare with Colin. So it's Colin and Deirdre are the twins. And so tell us kind of about that. Like what happened there? Give us the story. Oh, wow. It's a long one. And so I'll try to, I'll try to keep it brief, but. No, um, we have all day, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Around Thanksgiving in 2016, Colin was two, just started preschool and um, I would brush his teeth at night. He would like lay in my lap. I'd cradle them, the twins, mm-hmm. and like brush their teeth so their head would be backwards. So one day I'm brushing his teeth um, and at the back of his mouth, the tonsil looked like red and inflamed or something. So Will and I are looking at it. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe a strep throat, must be strep throat. Yeah. So take him to the doctor the next day and the GP looks at him and does the rapid test and a culture. So we go on our way. Um, he calls us and tells us that the, the rapid test was negative. Um, and then a few days later, we're on vacation at Thanksgiving in Texas. And he calls and tells me the culture is negative. I'm like, mm. this is so weird because I totally expected it's strep throat. Yeah. So we go home, go back to him to check things out and repeat all this testing. Mm-hmm. Same thing comes back negative. Um, so this doctor, he's probably like 30. He, it's like mm. maybe his second job. He's a really young guy. He's like, okay, go to the ENT. 
go to the ENT in West Orange. Mm -hmm. This guy's like been around for 25 years. He's seen his stuff. And he tells me, you know what? Some kids have asymmetrical tonsils. This Mm -hmm. isn't really something to worry about. It happens. Okay. Okay. So the pediatrician calls me that night to check. um, And I tell him this and he's like, hmm. And something about his tone, his voice was like, he wasn't buying it, but Uh he was still kind of young and he didn't want to get too pushy. Yeah. So, um, a few weeks go by and it's Christmas. We go to Disney with the kids mm-hmm. and we all stay in the same hotel room and call them snoring. And you have little kids, like kids yeah. don't really snore unless they have a cold or something. He's yeah. snoring all night long, every night. And I'm like, huh. And now this thing in his tonsil, his tonsil is starting to get bigger. Oh. So I'm very alarmed. So get home. We have a fantastic babysitter, Christina Divis. And I said, you know what? When he's napping, will you keep an eye on him and let me know if he's snoring? It's not yeah. usual. So two days go by, same thing. I go back to the ENT. And the ENT looks in there and he's, I can tell he's concerned. So he schedules us for a biopsy. Mm. Um, this is New Year's weekend, 2016. Oh. So we can't get in until midweek, right. January, beginning of January. So Tuesday, January, I think 3rd. Go to the St. Barnabas Ambulatory Center at 6 a.m. Your dad shows up. Your dad is there at 6 in the morning. He's there with us, comforting us. He's praying for us. Thank God, because we were terrified. Um, So anyway, we go through the biopsy. We're waiting. And the doctor comes out, and his face is just white. Uh, And... Now, the crazy part, if I back it up, is I love like WebMD and Google, mm-hmm. and I'm a Google doctor, period. So, yes, yes, yes. The beginning of December, when all this is happening, I Google everything, which I shouldn't, I know. And there were no good answers on Google, to be honest. This asymmetrical yeah. tonsils was not really a thing, but like lymphoma was. And I'm pushing that back. But I asked him, I said, does he have lymphoma? And so the doctor's like, yeah, or leukemia. And... <sighs> Just complete shock. And um, and he said, Well, Luke King is pretty terrible these days, though. And but his he's like, you know, a ghost and he leaves. So at that Oy. point, <laughs> we have to make some pretty big decisions. Like we have to wait for pathology for a few days, but it's it's pretty clear what's going on. Um <sighs> so <laughs> so okay, so you guys go for the biopsy. First of all, when they tell you we're gonna do a biopsy. I mean, that must have freaked you out to no end just to hear the word biopsy. No one ever is like, oh, you know. And so then you have to go and the guy just kind of casually is like, yeah, it's probably cancer, but let's wait on the pathology. Yeah. But he's, he's scared too. Like you, I Mm. can just tell him like he knows. Um, And you talked about the texture of, you know, his tonsil. He had to remove it. And it was just horrific, like completely horrific, you know, um, but in the weirdest way, I like, I was like, wow, you know, this is what I just read about. How is this happening? How yeah. is this happening? Um, yeah. Because yeah. people always tell you if your kids are sick and there's like a weird symptom or something, they're like, don't Google it. You're going to hear the worst case scenario and that's not going to be you. And then for you, it must have just felt like a bad dream. Like, how right. is this? This is me. Right. How does this happen? <laughs> so you wait a few days for the pathology and then they call you and what do they say? Um, actually I had to start pushing for it because I, what I had read about what he has, um, I had actually narrowed it down just because of the fact that it was so quick, like this thing between Thanksgiving and Christmas yeah. had grown. Um, right. so I narrowed it into something called Burkitt lymphoma. So okay. I decided in the period where I was waiting, I was like, you know what? I have to have a plan like immediately. I have to know where I'm going because this thing grows fast and he needs to get in. If it's this, he yeah. has to be in the hospital immediately. Um, so we reached out to one of William's classmates. Um, I had read online that Dana Farber was probably the place to go. And I'm like, how is this going to impact my family? It's in Boston. Like, how yeah. are we even going to do this? Um, but I needed him to go to the best. I'm like, if yeah. we can get it done, going to the best. So I spoke to William's um, classmate's mom, who's an oncologist, and, and she reassured me. She said, you know what? You need to stay close to home. It's better yeah. for your family. And she said, all of these big hospitals follow the same protocol. Okay. Um, so she referred me to Sloan Kettering. And okay. I didn't even know they have a whole pediatrics unit in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I called in and I, I spoke to a doctor named Christopher Lenza. And he said, as soon as you get pathology, you call me and we're mm-hmm. going to get you in here. So I pushed the pathologist. I said, I need this like now. Um, mm-hmm. So I got it two days later 
we were in the hospital on Friday. So from Tuesday to Friday. Whoa. And it had to be that fast. Like with this lymphoma, you don't have a chance. You can't really shop around um, because yeah. while you're shopping around, it's it's getting him sicker. Oh. So um, we went in Friday morning. And one of the things they had to do is a lumbar puncture because they have to see if the cancer has gone to the spinal cavity and the brain. Mm. Um, and when they did that lumbar puncture, they actually put in the first chemo. So it was immediate. They're like, we have to take care of this child. Um, so the result of the, the puncture was that he did not have cancer in his spinal cavity or his okay. brain, thank God, but they yeah. have to treat that anyway. So they just immediately hammered him. Okay. It's like, and then you're signing papers after actually it's wow. like, Oh, I'm doing this and here, sign these papers. This is what it can do to your child. <laughs> so you guys are like in there. So now he's like admitted, like he's staying, he's in the yeah. hospital. This yeah. is like in a week's time that this whole thing like really? happened. Yeah. So it's Burkitt lymph- lymphoma. Did I say yeah. that right? Yeah. What? So what is that exactly? Um, it's a blood cancer and it okay. is one of the fastest growing blood cancer. So it, it's a, it's a glitch in a T cell, which is one of your um, blood cells. Something happened. They can't explain it. There's no reason or you know, no explanation as to why this happened to Colin, but one cell copied incorrectly and then kept proliferating in his blood. Um, and the first set of scans he had done, so he had like a PET scan to see yeah. how much cancer was in his body. Um, they did that that first weekend, but they hit him with this, um, it's called, um, induction phase or so really strong chemo, um, to break down the tumors in him. They mm-hmm. did not show us for a week what that original scan was. And I'm so thankful they didn't because it was in his entire abdomen and back, oh. like, it was unbelievable. Like we had no idea. I saw his tonsil. That was the only thing I saw. It was all inside of him. Um, so after that first week, when they showed us the scan to compare, it was good news. He had responded like 40% of the tumors were cleared up. And that meant that his protocol would be very successful. So we knew that in a week, it's most likely going to be pretty successful. You know, there's always that fear, but that was some good news. Yeah. So now was he getting sick from the chemo? Yeah. Um, after that, it, it takes a few days, like a lagging effect yeah. where, you know, it kills the white blood cells. So, um, you know, first five days he's doing his thing and then they start to crash, um, when the white blood cell count drops. Um, and he actually, the way his protocol was, he had chemo again a week later. So he got kind of hammered. Um, and when he came around after that, when the blood cell count dropped, he could not eat. Like he mm-hmm. had, um, he had sores from all the way down his throat, down through his digestive system. I mean, he would lay in bed at night holding a chocolate chip cookie, mm-hmm. thinking like at some point maybe I'll eat this. And he just could not do it. Um, it was absolutely awful. And there's nothing you could do. And you, were, you were in, in the hospital at this time or you were home. Yeah. Yeah. We stayed in the hospital. Um, mm-hmm. there's so many crazy details of this, but because he was still in diapers, yeah. we had to monitor, um, what was coming out of him for toxicity. Um, and they had to adjust other medications to combat the toxicity. So it just totally crazy. Um, I don't think there's any option to go home. You need professionals to be on top of all this, you know? So you or Will were with him 24 seven. That's right. Yeah. Were you guys just taking turns? Like who was with the kids at home? Like, how did you work that out? So we were blessed that um, my aunt is in Maryland. So immediately when, right after we had the biopsy, she came up to help us. Um, We're pretty certain something was going to happen. And so she stayed with us um, and watched the kids. And then we had like a rotation between my mother-in-law um, my sister-in-law, my father-in-law, my brother-in-law all took turns coming up from Houston mm. along with like my aunt and some family. So they covered us for, oh gosh, till April, January to April. Wow. We always had somebody with us, um, because it, Will and I would go in if there were procedures and there were a lot of procedures. We had to be there together and otherwise we tag team, but you know, we weren't very useful at home at that time. I'm so, sure. So yeah. how, what was, was Colin like? I mean, he's two. Did he understand? Like, what did he, like, what were your conversations with him like? 
we had to be pretty honest. We felt it was helpful to be honest, yeah. um, not about what could happen. Um, mm-hmm. the bad part, uh, it's hard to think about that ourselves, but, um, he knew something wasn't right. The first mm-hmm. morning he went in to Sloan Kettering, he was so angry. I had these mm-hmm. pictures of him and he was just, he knew something wasn't right at all. Um, but aside from that, he was so well behaved. Like there were other kids screaming. The first morning going, there was a kid screaming, which mm-hmm. I get because it's, it's painful. It's mm-hmm. brutal. You're stuck in this place. Um, but he would always like introduce himself to every new person. Even the nurse, the doctor, he's like, I'm Colin Baker. He would tell them his name. Um, he would give him a high five. Like he really, except when he was feeling his worst and he would sleep a lot. He was super friendly. He did everything they asked of him, mm-hmm. even when it hurt. I mean, he just, he was a trooper. Oh, <laughs> now what about your kids at home? Because so obviously Colin's twin Deirdre. So she's two years old. And then William and Lauren were a little older. So they obviously could understand on a deeper level. So like, how did you explain to them? Like, what did they think was going on? So Lauren and William knew, um, they understood what cancer is because my mother had just passed away from it. Um, so I think that was really hard. I mean, we didn't delve deep because they had to go to school. Like I wanted their life to be. Yeah normal as possible. It was kind of crazy to say. Um, so we didn't dwell on the bad stuff. We didn't say, Oh, could he die? You know, right, right. but I know they fought it. I know Lauren was on yeah. top of that. Um, so she kind of stepped up. I know that if you asked her now, she's like, I tried to be a caretaker to Dee. Mm. Dee had no idea except her best friend is now missing right. every day. Um, so mm. I think that was hard on her. Um, when he was home, he wasn't feeling well. So they'd yeah. play somewhat, but then, you know, there were a lot of days where he was just not feeling well. So it was mm. hard on everybody. <laughs> I think um, the kids yeah. tried to hold it together. The th- other three really tried to hold it together for us to, because they knew we couldn't handle anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy how like kids can definitely like pick up on that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, it's funny. We were just talking about this the other day, you know, um, in February, when my mom got diagnosed with brain cancer, you know, it's funny. We think about that first week when we found out that she had the tumor and like things were crazy. Like my dad was staying here. We were like, people were dropping off food. Like it was like, we were going back and forth to the hospital. We were on the phone with doctors. Like it was like such a crazy time. And when I think back, like my kids were like the best behaved they've ever been. You know what I mean? Which like makes me thankful and sad at the same time, right? Like, cause it's like thankful cause it was like, oh my gosh, like obviously they like picked up on like something's going on here. So we're just gonna kind of like be chill. But then it also makes me sad, right? To think about like what, you know, what's in their subconscious. Like what did they, you know what I mean? I don't know. So, but it is crazy. Kids really do. Like they pick up on it and they're just kind of like, okay, like I'm gonna chill because I can tell everyone's can't really take anymore, you know? Right. And I, I've heard that from therapists. They say it's it's the total truth. It's been studied that they just can't, they they sense that mm-hmm. you cannot do it anymore. So then when you can, that's when they'll step in and say, listen, I need you now. Like I yeah, have to process right. this. Yeah. So. Oh, that's so crazy. All right. So how long were you guys in the hospital? You said like from January to April? Yeah, we were in for... Most of it, the better part of it, because he would have chemo. He had um, six rounds of chemo. So he'd have chemo and then they could release him. But if he spoke, uh, excuse me, spiked a fever, you would have to take him right back into the emergency room. So there's always some reason he ended up back at the hospital inpatient after his treatments. And that was the best place for him to be, to be honest. Um, Because he, you know... Um, he was at risk of infection and a bunch of times he was in um, isolation because he had rhinovirus at the same time. He somehow caught rhinovirus in the playroom at the hospital, like a little playroom, and he could infect the other kids. So oh. it was he would be in isolation, not allowed to leave his room. That would be really hard because we'd have to try to entertain him in there. So he watched <laughs> Mickey Mouse Club constantly. Yeah. To this day, like anytime we hear it, we think about the hospital. I'm sure you probably have like PTSD when you hear it. (laughs) Oh, so it's like you would have to entertain your two-year-old in a room. Right. For days and days and days on end. And now, I mean, honestly, 
a lot of that time he felt like complete garbage. Yeah, so he would play in bed and he would watch TV. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't like a party, but right, it was right. really sad if he felt okay and you couldn't get out and just walk around a little or go to the playroom. Mm. I imagine, like you said, like the best place for him was the hospital. Like, even though it sounds like, oh, why would you ever want to live in a hospital for months? I feel like if I put myself in your shoes, like I would probably prefer to be in the hospital because I think I'd be so freaked out at home. Like, I feel like I would be like every two seconds, like, is that normal? Is that normal? Is there a fever? Is it? So you probably had, I don't know, like a little bit of relief being there, at least knowing that the doctors are like feet away from you. Exactly. Yeah. Like at home, I had three different front thermometers, right? Because right. I'm like, is this one right? Is this one right? This one yeah. is, is he really fine? It was just lunacy. So in there, I knew if anything went wrong, they were right there for him. It was much yeah. better. Is there like a bed in the room for you guys? Like, did they like set it up so it's like semi comfortable for parents to stay? So it's like when you have a baby, they have that little um, chair that turns oh. into a bed. But the crazy thing with Colin is he refused to sleep in the hospital bed. So he wanted to sleep on that little chair. <sighs> so we set that for him. And anytime, like if a new nurse shift came in that we didn't know, cause we ended up knowing a lot of our PAs and nurses, but sure. someone knew they would come in and like, I would have to sleep or well in the hospital bed because he refused flat out. And they'd come in and scold us and like, hold on a second. This wasn't yeah. our choice. Like we right. that. he wants to sleep in the funny little couch thing, whatever. Oh so, my goodness. Yeah. And at that point you're like, listen, whatever's going to make him happy. If the chair is going to make him happy, whatever. Right. You know? it was, like it was the one thing he could control. I'm not going to yeah. take away from him, you know? No, of course not. Oh, meanwhile, the new nurse is coming in. Like, what is this parent? Like taking the bed from her child. Oh my gosh. So- what was that time like? I can't even imagine what that was like for you and Will, like as parents and like for your marriage, like you were, the stress you were under and then the fact that you're probably basically just kind of like two ships passing. Like, what was that like for you guys? That, yeah, it was like a blur. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we would kind of see each other a little while in the hospital in the morning when one person came in to relieve the other person. If we both were home because Colin was out of the hospital or exhausted. Yeah. Um, and most nights Colin would sleep, go to bed early and sleep in the bed and want me with him. So right. yeah, it was, it was a complete blur. Um, definitely as far as marriage, but you don't have time to nurture or work um, on marriage during that time. It's all about the kids. And then the other kids who you're kind of neglecting because you just don't have anything left and it's horrible, but it's just so, so hard. You have nothing left to give. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's not like you're going to on a Tuesday be like, you know what we should do? Like go on a date night. Like right. you're just like, we're trying to survive. Like, right obviously we're not going to be like, you know what, let's really do something special. Just us, you know, like, I can't even imagine emotionally speaking. Did you feel like you were like falling apart or did you feel like you didn't really even give yourself a moment to really think about it? And you were just kind of on autopilot. I think the second, yeah. When, um, the first night when he had the biopsy, like that night I was very emotional and I want to run away. I was like, what if I just get in this car with my kids, pack them up and like drive far, far away. Can we escape what's happening in our family? Um, but once that night was over, I was like this, there's work to be done. We have to get this done. The doctor gave us this list of medications and a protocol. And like, we're going to check this thing off. And we're going to get through this. And then I had to just check out. Like, I feel like it was like self-preservation. I was just checked out. Um, yeah. There's no other way for me to get through, especially after my mom, because I had seen literally the worst case scenario. Um, yeah. I just had to kind of harden myself or I'd lose it. And I had yeah. to take care of them. So, yeah, it was kind of business, right? And um, if we broke down, it would be in private And not often try to stay tough for him, especially. Yeah. Yeah. What was like the darkest time of the whole ordeal? So I would say there were two points. Um, One of the most terrifying things was the first inpatient stay he had. Like he went in and then he was probably in for two weeks straight that first shot. Um, 
one day, a, like the entire medical staff went running towards one of the children's rooms. So we're in the pediatric wing. It's all children. You know, every single room is a cancer patient. Mm-hmm. Um, so some bell went off and they all went running to that room. And I was like, oh, wow. This tells you like the worst case scenario, like Colin would be kind of all right, you know, maybe feeling under weather. And that child ended up passing. All of her family was coming the next few days. I would see them standing outside the door and I just, I don't know. I have no words. I I can't even understand how they felt. Um, So the other time was, I want to, I think it was like the fourth chemo he had. Um, This was like, your body keeps getting hit, right? So it's harder and harder to recover every time. And sometimes they have to delay. They never had to delay him, but this fourth round, something was going on with his lungs. We weren't sure if he had pneumonia. Um, his heart rate was rapid. Breathing was rapid. He was so lethargic. And I was, it was like two days of this. Um, and they kept adjusting medications and trying to figure out, they did an x-ray and they couldn't find a line of pneumonia. I don't know what was going on with him. It was probably side effect of the chemo, but I was terrified we were going to lose them. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know where we were at that point. Um, but he did find he did find you in another round after that, which he handled much better. Mm-hmm. So, mm. I just oh, I cannot imagine. So, when did things kind of like turn around for the better? Like, when was it like things are looking up? It looks like we might get out of here. Like, he might kick this thing. Like, when did you feel like there was like a light? Um, you know what. It took two years really for us to feel comfortable. I think that things were really good. But after the last round, it was about, I want to say two or three weeks, he had to have scans. And on my birthday that year is April. He um, got clean scans. Mm. So that was a big deal. Um, And then a few weeks after that, they said that we could remove his port. Um, and that to me was like, there's a lot huge. of optimism in that, right? He doesn't need that. They're not going to take this out if they think they might need it. Um, right. So that was a little glimmer at the beginning stage that this was going to be okay. Um, but then it takes a while because in the beginning you have quarterly scans. You have to see how things are. So every time we went in, they, you talk about skins with skinxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Every single time you're waiting and you're like, if they call me, right after is this good news or bad news? Like you think about every permutation of when they call and what are they going to tell me? And what does this mean? You know, they didn't call me. It's been an extra day. Is it bad news? So every single time that he had scans, um, for that first year was just so tense. Um, and then in the second year it was every six months. And then after that it's annual. So once you got to that point, we're like, okay, they feel comfortable now Mm -hmm. when you go for a year. So I took some comfort in that too. Yeah. Wow. So do they use, they say he's in remission or what do they say? He's cured. Like what term do they put to it? So his hospital, I feel like they're a little unique because a lot of the other um, cancer hospitals, they'll ring a bell when you're done treatment or, you know, they'll use this terminology. They don't, they don't use any of this terminology. Um, And I think it's better because the reality is, he had cancer. Um, the reality is he could have, um, secondary cancers later. I don't think about that. Um, I hope he doesn't, we don't know that he will, but that's reality. Right. Um, so they say five years out for Burkitt lymphoma, which we're coming up on in, um, in March, the end of March, um, that it's very unlikely it would ever occur. It just doesn't happen. Um, so he's almost there and he's going to get there. Yeah. Um, but they don't use the terminology and it's actually more comforting to me because if they had said he's in remission and then it came back, like it was just, mm-hmm. had. like, I can't, totally. I can't do it, you know? So, um, I don't yeah. know. I appreciate it. It's weird and different, but yeah. it works for us. <laughs> uh, yeah. I actually think that that makes a ton of sense. You know what I mean? Like, I really do because you're right. Like if they were like, Hey, ring a bell, he's in remission, this is so great. And then heaven forbid there was ever like a blip, you know what I mean? Like, you're right. Like, I think that that makes a lot of sense that you prefer that there's not really terminology put to it. But that's amazing that you're almost at the five-year point. Yeah, right. And it seems like it went fast. It did it, but yeah, we're almost there. Um, 
So I'm, I'm faith. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm confident he's going to be okay. Yeah, absolutely. So how was it kind of like coming back into normal life? You know what I mean? Like when you were finally like released from the hospital for the last time and you like bring him home, what was that like? Kind of like, okay, like you're, you guys have had, like you said, like your mother-in-law, your brother-in-law, your sister-in-law there for months and months and months. And then you're finally kind of like, okay, like you guys can go home. Like we're going to try and go back to quote unquote normal, whatever that is. What was that like kind of trying to get back into life? Uh, it's very strange because you're in the hospital for so long. Yeah. Um, all these doctors and nurses and PAs, they're basically a lifeline and they're comforting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden you're kind of released and it's like, we'll see you in three months. Like yeah. really survive three months or we really okay. So in that first three months, I called a few times in, I'm like, I don't know if his tonsil is growing. His tonsil was removed. Right. So the other one, I'm like, is his tonsil growing? I don't know. Am I yeah. losing it? Like, so I would call in and they would explain like, Burke, it's so fast. You know, you saw this, like, it's going to grow so quickly. You're going to know. It's mm-hmm. not a question. Um, but it was definitely strange. I mean, I definitely felt like I had disconnected from my world. And so mm-hmm. when I went back to school functions or, you know, just the kids' normal lives, stuff that's normal for everybody would irritate me because yeah. I would look at like, problems and be like, this is such not a big deal. Like, totally. let me tell you about a big deal. Right. Um, so in some ways it's easier for me to kind of hold up. And I think I did that for a long time. I just kind of hold up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when COVID hit, I was like, Oh, this is not different for me. You know, oh, I'm gonna right. down. you know, I did this for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes a while to kind of break out. And I feel like I'm still kind of trying to break out of that, um, shell. Yeah. I feel like um, you know, I read one time this story of this woman whose son had um, died by suicide. And she said that, you know, people expect that after someone lives through a tragedy, that at some point they're going to like go back to their old self. They're going to like snap out of it. But, you know, I have obviously like lived through tragedy. You've lived through tragedy. It's like, you know, that like that doesn't happen. You know, like when you live through something like that, like what you've been through, you're not just going to like snap back to the old Carrie. Like you're a different person now. Like you've been changed by this. You see the world differently. And that can sometimes be hard for people around us. Like, did you ever feel like when you were kind of like, okay, like now I'm, we're back at school functions. We're back at church. We're back at this. Like, did you feel like awkward in any way? Like that people were kind of like, oh, like, how's it going? And you just kind of are like, oh, like, I don't necessarily want to talk about it. Like, was it an odd, did you just feel weird? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was one of the reasons why, like when he was sick, I I didn't do, um, like a website or something, right? Because it was just so personal and I didn't want people to feel sorry for us. Yeah, I could not handle if people were like pitying us. Um, totally. It, this just happened. I don't know. I have no control. And I also didn't want to have to tell people that something went wrong. Yeah. So, and it was the same after because you're in this waiting game, waiting for your scans and, you know, but life isn't normal. There's that fear. It doesn't mm-hmm. go away. Um, so yeah, it was hard to relate sometimes, um, just to normal life, right? It's just yeah. so mundane and normal, but you're like, you lived through this absolutely horrible thing. Um, I don't have anything to talk about, right? Like I just was in the hospital for four months and yeah, that's like live, right? Totally. Like that's the only thing going on in your world. And it's like, you don't necessarily want to talk about that 24 seven, but at the same time, like it feels ridiculous to talk about the weather. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're just kind of like floating in this weird zone of life. And when you talk about it, I'm sure you have encountered this, but if you find a space where you finally feel comfortable talking about it, for me, sometimes it was like, oh, that was a really weird time. Why did I talk about this then? Like telling someone that I, I didn't know very well, oh, my son had cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, just, it ends up being super weird and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, totally. Totally. Where you're just like, I'm going to be vulnerable. And then afterwards you're like, 
yikes, did I like suck all the air out of the room? You know what I mean? Like, and you're just like, did were you able to, right? Yeah. Yes. Were you able to connect with other moms that had been through a similar thing? So I, in the hospital, Colin often had a roommate um, when he wasn't in isolation. So I would talk to those moms, but there was this weird thing where none of us really um, traded emails or texts. And I think it's because part of it, like you don't want to check in and something really bad happened, right? True. Yeah. So I did find some online resources. There's a really great group called Momcology um, on mm-hmm. through Facebook. Um, and that helped me a lot because when he'd be home, um, if he had some strange symptom, I could just like put up a post, has anyone's child had this? Mm-hmm. And there were specific groups for lymphoma and for his kind of lymphoma. So I was able to reach out to people through that moms and then adults even that had it um, just to check if yeah. something that's going on, if I needed to call the doctor, because right? you don't want to be annoying mm-hmm. and call the doctor every five minutes, right? Um, totally. You're worried they won't take your call the next time, but super helpful on there. And then just all the decompressing afterwards. Um, yeah. 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 You know, that's, that is interesting to me about how you, you said like he would have a roommate and, you know, you talk to the moms, but you don't necessarily trade phone numbers because you would think like, I could see both sides of that, right? Like you would think, oh my goodness, like I want this person to be my best friend forever because she understands me. Her kid is going through the same thing. But at the same time, do you ever feel like you have that not like survivor's guilt, but kind of like, you feel like my son is fine now. Thank God. Like we're about to be at the five-year mark. Like this is a miracle. Like we are so thankful, but like, I don't want to keep in contact with these other people who like, maybe that's not their story. Yeah, I do. And, and the thing with his, uh, cancer is the habit. I want to say it's like a 93 to 95% survival, um, depending on how you present. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that was great odds from the beginning. And it's weird to talk about great. uh, It's cancer, right? Right, right. Horrible, but he had fantastic odds from the beginning, but there are other children that die of this exact disease, right? That other that five to 7%. And so, um, on these mom groups that I'm on, you know, every, Every once in a while, one of these children does the exact same protocols and does not make it. And it destroys me. So there was a period where I had to take a little break from connecting um, on that resource because I just, I couldn't take it. Um, mm-hmm. it. I couldn't live my life in misery. You know, every day I was not functioning, worrying about these other children, right? Absolutely. So- Absolutely. It's like, of course, like, you feel for these people, but at the same time, like at what point do you have to have a boundary where you're like, I can't fall into a depression every time I read one of these stories. Like I have four kids here that I have to like be here for. Right. You know? yeah, I'm not meaning that to sound like um, callous either. I just, of course not. It's absolutely horrible. And it's just upsetting that, you know, they haven't made progress beyond that. I mean, there's just nothing you can do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what is life like for you guys now? Like Colin, like he lives like a normal kid. Is there anything like, does he have to take certain medicines? Does, can he not do certain things at school? Uh, no, he's, he lives a very, very normal life. So the only thing really is he has a yearly checkup and this past summer he got moved to survivorship. Um, so the survivorship group is like a long-term follow-up, um, group. He doesn't have to see his team. They're treating like acute issues. Um, okay. So that's awesome. And then he just has to have his heart checked every five years um, because one of the medications called the Red Devil, mm-hmm. a lot of people have heard of it if they've had breast cancer, um, that medication can affect the heart. But he had such a small dose, relatively speaking, mm-hmm. that that probably won't be an issue. So just kind of monitoring. Mm-hmm. Um and other than that, like, it's great. Like it, the outlook is good for him. He's mm-hmm. playing sports. He's doing well in school. He doesn't really think about it. He used to talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, once in a while, he wants to talk about it, but he's a very cheerful, adjusted child, which mm-hmm. is crazy. Yeah. Do you feel like he, so you kind of just said this, he doesn't talk about it all the time. So you guys moved to Texas about a year ago. It's like new friends, new school, new whatever. Do you, or does he feel a need to like, bring that up when you meet new people. Like when he like meets his new class in September or I guess August, you guys go back to school. Like, is he like, hi, like I had cancer a few years ago or is that really not on his radar and he, it doesn't matter to him? 
not as much as it used to, like he used to definitely talk about. It. So I would tell the teachers every year, listen, mm-hmm. you need to understand this about Colin. He might bring it up because the other kids, one year, the kids are like, what? And the teacher, I didn't tell the teacher. She's like, um, is this true? Is this true? And cancer. Oh. So yeah, um, I, I just let them know in advance and it hasn't really come up as much here. So I may have told one of his friend's moms just because it was the right time to tell her. Mm-hmm. But we definitely don't lead with that. Mm-hmm. And I don't want people to see him as that kid with cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's part of his... Um, part of his life and it's, it's part of who he is, but it's not like the first thing about him. Yeah. In some ways it's kind of cool that you guys like moved across the country. It's almost like you left that behind and you're starting anew, you know what I mean? And it's like these new people that that's not how they think of him. You know what I mean? They didn't know him then. And, um, I don't know that's kind of cool. How do you feel like the whole ordeal like changed your family, changed you? Like, do you feel like you're different now after? Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I try to remind myself and you have two small kids. It's really hard, but I try to remind myself every day is a gift. So really, really hard days. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes it takes a little while, Mm -hmm. but I really do understand that. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope I get better at, at, um, emulating that mm-hmm. <laughs> when yeah. I'm screaming at my kids. Oh yeah. But, um, and then I just, I don't have patience for as much nonsense. I, I gotta say, like, mm-hmm. I just, just won't engage in as much nonsense as before. Um, mm-hmm. and so I try to shield myself from, I don't know, just nonsense. And I don't, I'm not, it's not coming across well. <laughs> no, I, I actually 100% know what you're talking about because that's something that me and my family talk about a lot. You know, um, after Joe died, yeah, like it just kind of like leaves you in this way of like, yeah, I don't care about blah. You know what I mean? Like this thing, you know what I mean? Or in, uh, you know, the episode where I interviewed my sister-in-laws, they were talking about, you know, when my husband and his sisters, when their sister died, my sister-in-law, Tyann, was saying, like, she's like, you know, I went back to college after my sister died and my friends are talking about, like, who got engaged and, like, what color their bridesmaid dresses were going to be. And I was just like, I don't care. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, that's not important. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter. You know, so it does. Yeah. Like, we were talking about before. I really do feel like tragedy changes you in that sense. You know? Right. Just, like, a lower threshold for, like, tolerating stupidity. <laughs> right, right. Drama. Um, yes. It, I, just don't, I don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It hard, right? In some ways it can make it hard for people to relate mm. to you. Yeah. You know, same spot. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, what do you think got you guys through? Like what, what got you through the hardest, the darkest times of this whole thing? Oh gosh. It's so hard to say. I mean, we definitely had support from mm-hmm. our family that came up and we couldn't have survived without all of them. Mm-hmm. Couldn't survive without your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the support of the church. Um, we had Lynn Tucci cooking food for us. Oh, she's <laughs> the best. For us, like, I want to say for at least a month after he was home and not at least a month, like once a week, food would arrive. Um so yeah, just that support. And it was a small group, right. That was really on the day to day, but that's also what we needed because mm-hmm. again, like for me and my husband's a pretty private person too, but I didn't want to broadcast this out mm-hmm. and then have to give every detail all the time and take stuff back. And, you know, mm-hmm. I just, I couldn't deal, you know, how it is what you can't deal with having to help others with their sadness, right. When you're Totally. Through it. And it's just some weird thing that happens. And I'm on the, on the other end of that at times too, trying to help a, a friend. And it's just such a hard, hard situation, right? People don't know how to help. They don't know how to act. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but that closer circle, we felt comfort in. That's um, so good. Yeah. What would you say, like if someone's listening to this and they have a friend who has a sick child right now, you know, maybe it's cancer, maybe it's something else. What would 
how, and if they're wondering, like, I want to help this person, but I don't want to overstep, but I don't want her to think that I'm not there for her. Like, what advice do you have for, like, if you know someone who's going through this with their kid? So definitely show up, but at the right time. And that's yeah. the hard part, right? Because you don't know when the right time is. Um, like Lynn, like she sent food. Awesome. Yeah. No, I yeah. don't have to think about this. Um, call and check in. Even if you think you're annoying, maybe it's a text instead of a call, right? Yeah, yeah. You're going to have to leave a voicemail, but, but call and check in. Because I think sometimes people are afraid mm-hmm. um, that they're annoying. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, but it means a lot. You know, and it's not annoying and it's nice to know that someone cares about your kid. Mm-hmm. Um, that stuff goes a long, long way, but it's so, so hard. And I understand both sides of it. I really do. You mm-hmm. just don't know what the right thing to say is. And there isn't, there's nothing you can do. Right. And there are no right words. Um, sometimes it's just listening. Totally. Right? Yeah, totally. Call. If the person wants to talk, let them talk, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think that that's so huge. Like, that you said that Lynn just showed up with food once a week for months. It's like, sometimes like when people are going through something, we'll be like, what do you need? Tell me what you need. But then right. it's almost like that stresses them out. Cause they're like, I don't know. My life is falling apart. I can't think of like tasks to now give you. But if someone is just like, hi, every Monday, I'm going to show up at your house with a platter of food. It's like, awesome. Like you didn't have to think about it. You didn't have to ask them to do it. They're just doing it. They just took it upon themselves to do it. Like, I just think that that's like really cool. That's a really like amazing way to just be there for people. What if someone is listening to this and they're going through something like this? They have a sick child. What do you, what would you say to them? It's, it's just so hard um, because there's so many different ways your child's sick, right? Um, if you feel up to it, definitely find support with other moms. I really think that's crucial because this, you know, like I said, it wasn't in person, but it really helped to talk to other moms online. Um, Someone's going through something very similar. That's your best resource. Because honestly, sometimes your best friend can't understand exactly where you're at, right? Even your spouse, like you're in a different spot processing this thing. Um, so I think that helped me the most is just reaching out. Like I'm, I'm afraid about this thing. Um, Oh no, that happened to my child and they're okay. You know? Um, yeah, it's just so, so hard. Everyone has to manage in their own way. It might be praying or having your church pray for you or, you know, going for a run. I, it's hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, so individual. Mm -hmm. I think that's really cool that you did have that really good support system online because, you know, social media gets such a bad rap and it can be a horrible place. Like we all agree, social media can be like a terrible thing, but it can also be a really, really beautiful, wonderful thing if we use it well, you know? And it's like, you were able to get connected to these Facebook groups and like, that was a lifeline for you. And I think that's so amazing. Right. And it is because the hospital itself, like the, um, our hospital didn't have a lot of counseling for parents. So you can do that to different hospitals, but yeah. I think that everyone probably needs to talk about these kind of things somewhere. You need some outlet at some point. So, so for us, like our family, I think everyone kind of crashed and burned a few months later. Um, yeah. And not like, you know, just everyone processed things. My totally. Processed it at some point. They just waited until well, and I were ready. Yeah. What kind of things did you notice in your other kids? Hmm. Well, Lauren kind of rebelled a little, mm. you know, and pushed, pushed back against parental rules. And I think mm. that's because she felt like, well, guys were in the hospital for four months and I was getting my stuff done. You know, I kept my yeah. breaks up. I helped with my little sister and she was like 11 years old. Right? Yeah. That. So, totally, totally. Um, yeah, so she pushed back a little. Liam was probably more quiet. Dee Dee mm. was like a firecracker. She really? she wouldn't talk in school. She get aggravated and not tell them what was wrong. And that makes sense, right? This little Absolutely. girl didn't know what was going on. Um, but and that, like I said, that's a normal thing. So yeah. it took a little while, but everyone has to kind of get it out. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just giving <laughs> the kids space. <laughs> yeah, just like giving them space to process it, how they're going to process it. Oh, well, I mean, truly, I cannot thank you enough. Like, I know that this is like for sure hard to talk about, but just like, I think 
so beautiful to hear like how you guys got through it, how your family supported you, how your church supported you. And just, I don't know. I just think it's like so beautiful, like how you guys walked through such a torturous thing. And, you know, you guys are strong and amazing and we're so happy that Colin's doing so well. Thank you. We are too. We're so blessed. (laughs) Yeah. So I always end with asking my guests, what is your favorite snack right now? What do you love to snack on? Beef jerky. Yes. All of it. Any of that. So gross, right? That's good. No. Are you kidding me? Scott (laughs) loves beef jerky. I love that. Have you gotten into like new foods in Texas or is it like, I'm acting like you moved to a new country, you know, like that's like literally like how stupid I am. I'm like, wow, Texas is everything different. It's all meat. It's just a bunch of meat. Now we have had a lot of barbecue and a lot of Tex-Mex. And then there's so many different like Vietnamese food. We had some Filipino food. Like there's everything. Oh yeah. Just bagels and a pizza are not good. That New Jersey. (laughs) Yes. The bagels and the pizza. You can never, it's never the same as in the Northeast. (laughs) It's the truest thing. Oh, well, Carrie, thank you so much. This was amazing. You were amazing. I just cannot thank you enough. You're welcome. It's good to connect with you again. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions.